Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Wright, attorney, author, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. This is the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Let's get started. Hi, welcome to episode 18 of the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast. Today, we have with us Edward Mike Q from Think Counseling Services in Chelmsford, who is a supervised parenting time facilitator. Among other things, he has a pretty robust mental and behavioral health background. He's worked in the education system. He's done a little bit of everything in terms of working with families and youth. And he's just a fantastic resource. And I'm psyched to have him on the podcast today to talk to us about his supervised parenting time practice and what he does in terms of dealing with families, assisting the court, and just the ins and outs of what people can expect in terms of a supervised parenting time situation. So, Ed, welcome. Thank you so much for taking time out today and coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, Ed, start off by telling us a little bit about Think Counseling, what you do, and how long you've been at it for. Oh, sure thing. Sure thing. I've, I've been at it almost 13 years. I was in education for a long time and I was on an administrative track for about a second. And when I fell into uh, a counseling program in my first master's program, and uh, that led to uh, obtaining a licensed mental health counselor license, I opened a practice almost 13 years ago. And right off the bat, I had uh, a college professor um, slash attorney and a few other things asked me to do a supervised visit. I didn't know what it was back at, in the, at the time. And, and I just thought it was a nice thing to do. I was good at it. I met all the expectations and helped this family out. And I've been doing them ever since. So what exactly is supervised parenting time and how does it function in the context of the family court? Sure. The, the, you know, it, it, it provides a much needed resource. People have no idea what it is unless, until they get into a predicament. So you, you have some adults, they have a baby, uh, all of a sudden they're not together anymore, but there's this child and one of the parents wants to see the child. A lot of times, unfortunately, the other parent, and you're an attorney, so you see this all the time, you know, the other parents, yeah, maybe not, you know, for, for whatever reason, and the courts will appoint a supervisor like me to be that third party to mediate, maintain some some level of appropriateness for the for the visit with the child. And again, the, there's clear instructions and expectations set by the court in custodial parent. So we're mm -hmm. really just a neutral party. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the primary reasons that would lead to a supervised parenting time situation being ordered by the court? Oh, I would say every, every case really is different, but there's that underlying, you know, somebody who has to be supervised allegedly did something to get them in a predicament to have, you know, another adult with them on a visit with their kid. So it could be substance use or abuse. It could be domestic violence against the child or the other parent, all sorts of predicaments bring them to having a supervisor. What's the most common that you see in your practice? I would say really, you know, gross marital discord. They just don't like each other 
And, you know, from my point of view, from whatever paperwork I look at, you know, there are allegations. Some of them have been proven. There could be, you know, domestic violence. They went to jail. They came out. And now they want to see their child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's really all about, you know, safety of, of the other parent, the custodial parents. You know, sometimes we just do handoffs at a police station and they need a third party to be there for safety. Mm-hmm. What sort of qualifications and training are necessary to provide supervised parenting time services in Massachusetts? Sure. There's no license for it. The, the, the uh, probate and family court have set some guidelines on who can be a professional counselor. And they really set some clear guidelines, uh, such as sometimes they have to submit a quarry. They have to understand uh, the laws of domestic violence. They can't have any, any OUIs, you know, things like that. They need to maintain a level of objectivity and neutrality. So very simple, straightforward, I think, healthy guidelines. There's no license for it, though. Interesting. So what process do you, are you on a list at the court? Like, how does that work exactly? Like, so how would I am, find you if they needed a, supervi- a supervisor for parenting time? Sure, sure. There's a supervised visitation network and they allow us to advertise on their website. Mm-hmm. Once you've been doing it a while, working with different attorneys or families and or courts, you get well known and the judges know you. And uh, if you have a good reputation, then you're going to get referrals that mm-hmm. way. In your appointments, how do you ensure the safety and the well-being of the kids during the supervised parenting time sessions? Sure. My, my process is, is as thorough as can be. There's, there's no, no adjustments to my process because, it's again, it's my comfort level that I take seriously as a parent and a licensed mental health counselor and a few other things, you know, the safety of children. So I ask the custodial parent to come in and meet with me and make sure that they're comfortable bring the child or children. And I have 10 simple, very thorough questions on our agreement. And really, they're all about safety, expectations for the visit. If they're happy with that, they sign off on it. I bring in the other parent that's going to be supervised, and we basically go over the same paperwork. And if they're comfortable with that, then they sign. So it really, it's a three-way agreement between the three of us. Again, stressing clear expectations, never mind, always the other parent and or court. Right. What are some of the challenges and complexities unique to providing supervised parenting time services? Well, I think, I think the main challenge is, is maintaining expectations. And I, I learned early on that, you know, integrity is paramount. There's no second chances on visits with me. I just think that would be silly. So, you know, if Uncle Joe, for whatever reason, is not allowed to show up on a visit and Uncle Joe shows up on a visit, and I use that example all the time, the visit's ended because that, that parent has lost their integrity and I'm not about to get myself and or the child or children in a predicament. I've only had to end a few, few visits and it's not good for anybody. Mm. Uh, what are some of the successful outcomes or positive experiences from your work in the supervised parenting time arena? Really? I, I, first of all, I don't do these to pay the bills and I think that's mm-hmm. good. It helps me maintain my objectivity and neutrality. I just had one end a month ago. I actually had to go to court, which is un- unfortunate, but 
Uh, that's their predicament. So I'm along for the ride. And at the end of it, that person did not need my services anymore. And they could visit with their, their child throughout the week, be divorced, carry on with their life and, and raise their kid. And I think that's really what it's all about. What are some of the legal or ethical considerations that are particularly important in this field when dealing with these families? Well, I think, I think, you know, no conflict of interest, right? So we can't be working for them. I'm not working for a state agency where, you know, we may cross paths. I'm not jaded by any of that. And I think that's really important in this type of work. And it's important to be able to, to really to intervene if, if there's an issue. I, I think, you know, this is a, a situ these, these are situations where they're very, very black and white. The expectations come my way. It's not, it's not about me. It's not mm -hmm. about my feelings. It's about what the other parent has experienced. And they have that opportunity to put it on their paperwork mm -hmm. and, and set those expectations. And, and the stories are unbelievable, as I'm sure you, you've seen and heard yourself as a. Oh, yeah. I've got plenty of them. <laughs> um, I know in a lot of um, family court situations that require supervised parenting time, um, when the supervisor writes a report for the judge explaining how the supervised parenting time went, if the parents showed up on time, if they brought snacks, if they engaged appropriately with the child, those reports are really helpful. Do you provide written reports for your clients? So what I've chosen to do is I write very, again, simple black and white notes after yep. every visit. Uh, I don't write a report and I don't predict the future, although all attorneys and judge, most attorneys and judges want that. Uh, I'm not predicting the future. So I think, again, somebody who gets in a situation that has to be supervised, unfortunately, they've lost some integrity. So they have to build that back. Right. And, you know, having a number of visits, I don't know what that number is, but having a number of them with no issues, no concerns in my notes, right, never ended. That's, that's a good way for them to build back their integrity. So I write very simple black and white notes, specifically pickup time, interactions, again, being very objective, and that's it. I've had one or two cases in my career where there was a supervised parenting time situation and the other parents tried to sabotage it or do things to interfere what are some of the, have you ever seen that? And what are some of the strategies that you might use to de-escalate a conflict between the parents? Sure. I, I, I do a lot of that. And, and, and again, it's, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm doing this to help folks out. And I, and I make it very clear from the onset that I am here to help, min, you know, minimize any manipulation on either side. It's very black and white. You made a baby. You mm -hmm. made a kid, they need, they need to see their parent. They really, really do. And mm -hmm. since I'm a mental health counselor, a parent myself, a teacher, a crisis worker, I deal with behavior every night of the week. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I have a lot of adolescents that don't have their parents. So, so I have that kind of perspective. So I really try to help people, you know, I, I really try not to let that manipulation come in. It has, I had a case before. Uh, where the custodial parent made a, a statement to me and wanted it on the paperwork that the the supervised parent had made a, a threat, a real bad threat. Use use your imagination. It's very very bad threat. 
And I said, you want me to put that on this paperwork and set that as an expectation or under security, you know, concerns? And they said, yes. So I, I set an expectation. I said, okay, well, we're going to have a second security person on the visit. Off in the, in the backgrounds and the shadows, strictly to maintain safety. And it was very expensive and they did it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, whether that was a real threat. Maybe it was a manipulation. They were that concerned, but they paid for it. It was good. And I felt good about it. They were, I was an arm length away as I am on visits. And this person mm-hmm. was, you know, three arm lengths away. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, people. Was it difficult to, to explain the presence of the other person to the child or? No, 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 nobody. No. I mean, the parent knew they uh-huh. didn't know who they were. Yeah. You know, think, think sit in a restaurant somewhere. No, no, the child would never know. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. So. Documentation. Let's sort of go back to that. I know you said you write very black and white notes. There's no sort of robust report with details about every little, you know, game that was played or, you know, snack that was given or anything like that. But in terms of your email communications with the parents, do you three-way email with them? Or if one person sends you a nasty email disparaging the other parent, does that color your judgment? I mean, how do you sort of handle that documentation piece of it with the emails sort of flying back and forth. So all emails are, are saved and they're, you know, the other parties aren't, you know, if there's a restraining order, which there usually is, frankly, and, and a lot of these supervised visits. So I have to respect that, but mm-hmm. they're all saved and they all know again from the intake, you know, where I'm coming from. And in terms of, you know, I hate to use the word, but transparency, it's, yeah. it's all out there. There's, there's, there's no manipulation. I'm not letting it in. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, the emails are saved documents, you know, both parties get the notes. Yeah. Everybody knows what I'm writing about. Some, the supervised parent might not like the notes from, from a visit, not their determination. They're my notes, my objective, right. Neutral perspective. So I've never had an issue with that. Never had an issue. They're very simple notes. Talk for a minute about the long-term effects of supervised parenting time on the children. What is that like in your experience? Do you, do you, is it hard to explain your presence there when they meet up with their parent? Maybe they haven't seen the parent for a long time. I mean, what, what's that dynamic like? You know, I don't know what the long-term effects are. I, I have to hope, be hopeful and assume that uh, it's good because you know, I did a good service and they got to see their parent. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but in terms of, you know, my introduction, I'm just along for the ride. I'm along to, I mean, the kids know, you know, if they're, if they're above seven, eight years old, they know what the deal is. Unfortunately, they've, they grew up probably listening to fighting and arguing there. They're not clueless to their, their parents' marital discords. So I'm just along for the ride and Mm -hmm. and that's it. Mm -hmm. And you know, if we go out to eat, I'm, I'm sitting there. I might not be eating pizza with them, but I'm, I'm sitting there reading a the book and I'm just, I'm hanging out. I'm pretty silent. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no chit chat. There's no, I'm not chiming in on a conversation. I'm literally sitting there alone. Okay. What advice do you have for parents who are participating in supervised parenting time sessions with the court? Find somebody that you're comfortable with. Find somebody that that you're, you know, that you trust and, and really, really go into it. I keep saying, you know, minimize the, the manipulation and the anger. And I tell people flat out, like you, 
don't have to love that other parent anymore, right? You don't have to love them, but you made a baby. And there's some, some reality check there that says that that parent has a right to see their kid. Right. If they were in prison, they would be visiting with their kid most likely on Sunday afternoons for an hour. Mm -hmm. So I, I really try to bring it down to very simple, basic terms. Most people get it. Right. Join Ellen for daily, easy-to-understand divorce and family law tips, covering topics like child support to parenting. Get your questions answered. Participate by asking Ellen and following Wright Family Law Group on TikTok. Dive into these essential insights with Wright Family Law Group's support. How do you address those times when people don't get it and you've got a parent who might be resistant to supervised parenting time? Sure. I mean, there, there's a couple ongoing right now. I'm just thinking right now, five months, five, six months, start and stop, start and stop. They, they've they heard the spiel. They got to come in and, you know, the custodial parent has done the intake. So waiting on this person who needs to be supervised and evidently they have money to spend with their attorneys. And for whatever reason, they call, they ask questions, they just dodge it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know what it is, but I got a funny feeling it's, it's back to that you know, that marital discord, they just don't, it's all about the, the adult when it really should mm-hmm. be about the child. Right. Sad. Really? It is. It really is. It really is. Um, talk a little bit about collaboration between professionals in the family court system when it comes to the supervised parenting time. Do you talk to any therapists or get involved with probation officers or anybody else with the supervised parenting time? I really don't. I mean, I, I cert- sometimes have contact with, with the parents' um, attorneys because sometimes they have questions. They might have, they might need guidance on the paperwork, although I think the questions are pretty simple. Some parents have, have questions on, on, on the questions, on the uh, intake form, but there's not, there's not too much talk. And again, I try to keep it, keep it neutral and, and, and separate. And frankly, I, you know, I, I read the restraining orders and I'll, I'll listen to some paper, you know, I'll listen about some paperwork about, about their divorce, but people bring in three ring binders. Mm-hmm. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're doing a million dollar divorce and supervised visit pops up, I'm not going through cases and cases of paperwork. I'm really okay. hyper aware of my role. I'm, right. you know, I'm not the attorney. Yeah. I'm not the GAL either. Right. right. I'm not oh, the yeah. GAL. I'm not writing a report. That's mm-hmm. the GAL's job. Right. So I think really the, the, uh, most often person that I'm going to talk to is a GAL, right? A guardian at litem or a parent mm-hmm. coordinator who wants to really hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. What about the latest research and best practices in supervised parenting time? I know you mentioned there's no credentials or licenses or sort of like schooling involved with being a supervised parenting time facilitator, but are there any sort of groups that you're a member of or any like research that you stay abreast of as it comes down the pike with regard to this practice area? I would say that my, my, my licensed mental health counseling background and, you know, continuing education, you know, supports all of it. You know, I'm listed on, I think every list that there can be in Massachusetts. But again, there, there's no, there's no license that I know of. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about the difference between 
supervised parenting time and therapeutic supervised parenting time. Now, you're a mental health clinician, but you don't really blend the two in terms of your practice, right? You, When you're wearing your supervised parenting hat, that's what you're doing. But do you do any other sort of supervised parenting time services that does integrate any sort of, sort of a therapeutic component? Yeah, I, I, it's a hot button subject for me because again, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I'm a crisis worker. I do family work. I do a lot of couples work, a lot of family work. And, and I would love to see, especially high conflict cases that come down the pipeline, you know, that really, I, I guess I'm going to say it, that therapeutic reunification counseling should be part, could be part of supervised visits that are coming down the pipeline because people aren't set up. You have an eight-year-old that hasn't seen a mom or dad for, you know, a year and a half and right. it was an ugly divorce and everybody know all the adults in the room know about it. And right. now all of a sudden somebody like me is going to show up on a visit at a pizza place for an hour. All right. I, it's, it almost feels unethical. I yeah. would love, I would love to, I, I would love to hold a, hold a, a group training for, for judges or court people. If they want to hear about it, I'll give them my experience. But I mean that I think that that could be, that could and should be part of supervised visits in high conflict cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, keep it, I keep it very se separate from my think counseling. You know, it's mm -hmm. a separate agreement, a separate contract. Insurance right. doesn't cover it. Uh, but if it's needed, then, then, then so be it. You know, I've never really done a therapeutic supervision session where I'm also supervising, but mm -hmm. I would, I would, think that I would be comfortable and I believe it's, it's ethical to maybe do some family re reunification work first mm -hmm. and then, and then go into supervised visits. Right. Yeah. I and guess the lawyers would, and the judges would have to agree that, you know, a parent and a child would be able to come together in a therapeutic setting. Right. Right. And then, right. and maybe, maybe there's some guidelines to that. And then we do, you know, however many sessions we think is needed. And then we go out and play for two or three hours a week. No, I, it would be an amazing hybrid model because the problem right now is that there's such a shortage in therapists, let alone therapists who are trained in reunification, right? Yeah, I know. Eastern garden variety therapist, you can't find them. Um, and so to have a reunification therapist who's also willing to do supervised parenting time and have that sort of segue in transition, it would just really be such an immense benefit, I feel like, to high-conflict families when kids have been estranged from their parents. I'll tell you what. I, did, uh, I started a case maybe four or five years ago with some teenagers, and I did four visits. We showed up, and the kids wouldn't leave the car. The kids wow. wouldn't leave the car to see the parents. I mean, talk about person in tears, right? Right. So really, really, really sad situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of counselors have switched to telehealth, but mm -hmm. that's not going to work for supervised visits. A lot of super, I, not a lot of people do them in the community. I travel out of state. I mm -hmm. really do. Again, I guess it's my background in crisis, but mm -hmm. sure. I travel out of state and I have before, um, kids at therapeutic schools. 
Mm-hmm. Think think out of state therapeutic schools programs and want to have to ha- visit with their parents. Sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, of course, Chelmsford is only really twenty minutes from New Hampshire. So when you say out of state, where are you talking about New Hampshire or other? New I've traveled to Maine. I've okay. traveled to Maine. Yep. There's been opportunities to uh, go to Florida because parents are out of state. Wow, just very very complicated situation. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, the need, it's sad, Ed. I mean, it's not going away. If anything, it's growing, you know. Um, Now, what resources are available to parents who are seeking supervised parenting time services? So I'm a parent, right? I haven't seen my son in some time. I'm just starting to get my feet wet, getting back into the supervised parenting time. Maybe my son is a little ambivalent about coming with me. Maybe not. I come to you and I'm like, hey, what else can I do? Are there any other resources for me to use to get this ball moved down the court so I can get my unsupervised time? Yeah, I mean, I, I unfortunately or, or fortunately, I shouldn't say it that way, but but, you know, most people in that predicament are probably going to have an attorney mm-hmm. and, and that and that child is is with the custodial parent who a lot of times is not, is not sitting there saying, oh, sure, take, 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 take our son for the weekend. Right. So, so they're going to go and they're going to, they're going to search out. I get calls all the time asking questions and I'll talk to people all day long and educate them about the process to the best of my ability. But there's usually some legal component to it. And, and again, that's another sad story because it's, it's very expensive. Yeah, not, not the supervised visit piece per se, but just, you know, setting up uh, an attorney and, and getting the ball rolling, whether it can right. cut, whether it's coming from court, not all cases come from court either. So people will try to mediate it themselves, usually with their divorce attorneys. Yeah. Now, how do you handle cases where you've got a parent that might be making progress with the supervised parenting time, but also might pose a risk to the child? Have you ever had any situations like that? How do you handle that? Well, I mean, if there's any any risks that I am privy to on a visit, you know, then a visit's going to stop. So I don't really run into cases like that. And, And visits go as long as they go. I don't you know, I, I don't feel that we are in a position to, to, you know, to say that a, a supervised visit should stop. Right. I'm talking in, in totality, not, right. you, know, you know, I'm not, we're not, another way to say that is we're not sitting there saying, okay, well, the father or the mother is going to have eight visits and that's it supervised. Right. That always comes down the, the pipe from the attorney or the court. Uh-huh. So I'm in, in my eyes, in my experience, if the visit is continuing and my notes end with no concerns noted, then full speaks steam ahead. Itself. Say right. again? It speaks for itself. Yeah, no, it does. No, and, no. and that's what I was saying. I was in court a month ago and, you know, they, the attorneys beat it up a little. And, and at the end of it, the person didn't need supervised visits anymore. That's great. The right. judge made that call. Right. So, so they brought back there in my eyes that parent brought back their integrity by some long-term visits and no concerns noted. And that was it. That's a good feel. Recommendations do you have, if any, to improve the way supervised parenting time is facilitated and coordinated in Massachusetts? 
I would love for judges when they when they write their orders mm-hmm. to to really make a point that everybody needs to play nice. And I what I mean by that is, you know, setting a visit, first of all, it's pretty sad when when a parent comes out of court and you know they're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. They haven't seen their child and they get one hour of supervised visit a week. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, um, that's not self-serving. Uh, again, I'm not paying the bills for me at least, but mm-hmm. for a parent to have one hour a week with their child supervisor is kind of silly to me. I think I can say that one hour. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. They're already, they're already forced to have a supervisor with them. Mm-hmm. And again, I guess, I guess if there's a financial issue, then I guess one hour is better than nothing. But I would wish that courts would, would be would put some verbiage in for flexibility because sometimes it's, you know, Thursday at 10 a.m. when a, most parents are working and they can't take a day off. It's just, it's, it feels to me like a setup for failure. Mm-hmm. So flexibility in all parties, not, not, not every supervisor can, can do a Saturday afternoon um, or a Friday at four o'clock with rush hour traffic. And now the person's getting charged with, you know, all sorts of travel time. Right. Okay. So flexibility in scheduling, I think, is just, is huge. It's paramount. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue that yeah. I see. Right. How do you adapt your approach when you're working with children of different age groups during your supervised parenting time sessions? So that'll that'll happen often. You know, there'll be a six year old and a and a twelve year old. Sometimes, you know, I've had supervised visits up to three kids. I won't really do more than three kids, and that's a lot. So I will, I will set an expectation for either a second supervisor to work with me mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or set, if I may, and both parties have to agree to it, that we're going to have it in maybe my office mm-hmm. so that I'm not chasing a six-year-old down the hallway oh, when, yeah. when I have to leave that, you know, that's, that's a nightmare. Three so I never get like, 12 is a lot to manage. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Right. yeah and it's, there's, there's, there's an ethics thing, I think with that. So, so I, I have done that before. Or if the visit is at the parent's house, I'll set an expectation with everybody saying, you know, we're going to hang out in the living room, dining room area. And that's yeah. it. Nobody's going off to the second floor or anything like that. Right. And again, you have to be very cognizant of that. Can you share a few success stories about situations where your services have had a really positive impact on families? Well, you know, it's, I, I, I don't get a lot of postcards in the mail down the road, you know, <laughs> thanks for your time when I was 12. Right. So I, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, I, I think, I think really the best way to answer that is to just to say those, those times when people say, Hey, I'm all set. I, I don't need your services anymore. And that's yeah. just, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Really have they repeat customers where people have to go back on supervised time. I haven't. I have not. That's good. That's good. It is. It is good. I know that you don't charge a lot for your services, and you spoke to how your background is in the mental health, the behavioral health, working with families, working with at-risk youth, the crisis work. So I know that you get a lot of personal fulfillment out of doing supervised parenting time. Do you feel like you get more fulfilling in doing the supervised parenting time or more your clinical work? I, I like it all. I, 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 without, 
without sounding silly, I like to say that I do the, you know, the supervised visits in a philanthropic way. I do charge a nominal fee just to keep the lights on. I do have an in-person practice as opposed to everybody else who got, got rid of their very expensive offices. Yeah. But I, I really don't like telehealth. So, but, but my satisfaction is really just helping parents. They, they need to see their kids. They really, the kids need to see them, I should say. Right. I, but, but no matter what predicament they got themselves in, and, and it's just, it's a nice thing to do. You know, I became a counselor to be a better teacher. You know, mm -hmm. I was a vocational teacher for 20 years, big, loud, rough and tumble vocational arena. And can't tell you how, how it made me make teaching easy. Yeah. So it's all good for me. It's, it's all great satisfaction. Uh -huh. How many clients do you normally take on with your supervised parenting time, balancing that out against your clinical work? I don't have a lot of time, so I'm only doing maybe one or two cases at a time, an hour here, a couple of hours on the weekend, things like that. I don't teach anymore. So my office is only in the evenings. It's, it's pretty high intense work. So I, I, I've set some boundaries for myself, but I, I work for a military contractor during the day now supporting some Marine and Navy reserve sites. And that's, that's really fulfilling. So, so I'm pretty busy, but I'll, I'll take a few cases on at a time. And that's really all the time. Yes. So interesting. Ed, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I know that you are busy and it's tough to keep up with the type of work that you do. I mean, it's juggling balls of flames a lot of the time, like riding a unicycle all at once with all of these different areas um, that you're involved in. But thank you again so much. And thanks for joining the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Remember, the information shared in our episodes is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. Stay informed. Stay empowered. This is the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast.